Good morning. This is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. Hey everybody, it's 9.03 a.m. It is uh, June the 24th, 2019. This is episode 111 of Bitcoin and it goes to 11, it goes to 11. It appears that you can now buy a new or used Ford using Litecoin. (laughs) Uh, All American Ford at all American Ford on Twitter has been listed on Bitcoin people dot online. Of course, Litecoin isn't Bitcoin, but whatever this, I was looking into uh, all American Ford uh, to see what this like, you know, is going to be like a used car lot or something like that with like four cars and like what looks like a junkyard. And the answer is no, it's a apparently in New Jersey, all American Ford uh, is a fairly large outfit. Um, So there you go. Uh, You know, again, adoption, you know, hey, it's maybe Litecoin, but whatever. Um, also on the whatever front is I've, I finally got blocked by Cobra Bitcoin. <laughs> it took forever. And I don't even know what it was that I said to, uh, uh, I hadn't communicated with Cobra Bitcoin and like, you know, or re- replied to any of his tweets and anything. And I can't even remember when, and I looked today, uh, somebody was retweeting something. And of course I'm like going, well, I can't see it. So I must be blocked. So had to go do the whole private window thing and come to find out Cobra Bitcoin has finally blocked me. Nice. Nice. Um, Crypto Owen Wilson is, uh, has a, a neat tweet, a nice tweet out there that says, uh, this is, remember, this is at Crypto Owen Wilson. And if you're not following him, uh, he's uh, not to be missed. Peter Schiff, I hate Bitcoin. I would never own that crap. It's useless. Also, Peter Schiff, please use Bitcoin to purchase gold on my website. And of course, he's got a uh, Cobra or a Cobra. Uh, a crypto Owen Wilson has a face shot or a screenshot of Peter Schiff's uh, services and and you know sort of like an about page. And of course, at the very bottom it says Bitcoin accepted here. And yes, Peter Schiff has been accepting Bitcoin for a while. Uh, you can buy gold with Bitcoin on his site, but apparently he doesn't like Bitcoin. So, you know, I don't even know what that is. It's just like, I mean, did he forget that it was on his site? Did 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 he like used to like Bitcoin at one point or another, and then now he doesn't? I don't know, man. It's just, it's just weird. You know, if you're going to take a stand, you know then take the damn stand and don't, you know, waffle around all the damn time. Bitcoin magazine has a tweet out there. Uh, Bitcoin 2019 will be home to over 1700 attendees, sponsors and speakers, all interested in one subject, Bitcoin follow at Bitcoin 2019 conf for new updates and live stream details. So, Yo, 1,700 attendees is not something to sneeze at. And a lot of people are really excited about this conference. And I hope that Bitcoin Magazine takes, you know, keeps their stand that they're Bitcoin only and they're not going to put up with anybody coming in uh, with, you know, their normal crap coinery or whatever. But, you know, kudos to Bitcoin Magazine for actually being, on the whole, mostly reporting on Bitcoin. Um, there are times when they report on a couple of other things, but um, only, I, I, you know, in a, in a way, only as it re, uh, pertains to Bitcoin. But anyway, so we'll we'll see. And you know, if you're going to go to the conference, if you're going to go to Bitcoin 2019, uh, be on guard for shitcoinery. Okay, now getting into the news here. <clears throat> Draghi wins 
EU's standing ovation as he urges looser purse strings. This is by Nikos Krasorlis and Victoria Dendernew. I guess that's how you pronounce it. Uh, this was out of uh, June 21st. Uh, this is Bloomberg. Mario Draghi told the European Union that additional monetary stimulus and a much more expansionary fiscal policy may be needed to overcome persistent economic weakness at a summit that also saw him win a standing ovation from leaders. That's right, people. (laughs) They're they're clapping for their wanting more QE, guys. The European Central Bank president said the Eurozone's rebound from an economic slowdown last year has been weaker than expected, largely because of pervasive uncertainty in global trade, according to a person familiar with with the behind-closed-doors discussion. In the absence of an improvement to the outlook for inflation, additional monetary stimulus will be required. Man, that hurts to read. That echoes a speech he made earlier in the week in Sintra, Portugal, which prompted investors and economists to ramp up bets that the ECB chief will cut interest rates from record lows before his term ends in October. Economic reports on Friday highlighted the the bloc's struggle to get out of its rut. Purchasing managers' surveys showed signs of stabilizing at the end of the second quarter, but weak sentiment is keeping policymakers on edge. Still, monetary policy alone can't shoulder the burden, Draghi said in Brussels, according to the person. In case of a deterioration, governments will need to loosen their purse strings with fiscal policy becoming much more expansionary than currently projected for next year. (laughs) Draghi's assessment was made at a meeting with EU leaders to discuss the economic situation in the euro area. Telling them this was his last summit, he was greeted with a standing ovation from his peers. (laughs) I don't know how to take that, according to the person. Leaders, including French President Emmanuel Macron and Italian Prime Minister Giuseppe Conti, took the floor to praise his work. Yeah, I wouldn't be praising any of that because that's an example of kicking, kicking the can down the road, y'all. And if, you know, this is probably going to happen, you're probably going to see, you know, more, more of this garbage monetary policy because they've gotten themselves into such a horrid state of affairs that there's probably no, no way to get out. And I was, I was listening to Ansel Lindner's show, um, Bitcoin and markets, and he had an interesting take on QE. And I think it has something to do. uh, What what he was saying was that in in essence, QE at this point is good because of various reasons. And I'm I'm not going to go into those, but he actually made a pretty good argument. Now, none of us like QE. I think what Ansel was actually saying was the fact that um, it's QE is now good because it's the only way you can keep this boat floating on top of the water because of what's been done since the 2008 crisis. Um, is that true? I don't know. Uh, but, you know, there it is. Bloomberg reporting that we're probably going to see more chicanery. But... Um, but not as much chicanery as this. Um, Decrypt.co author Tim Copeland is reporting a radically new Zcash blockchain is being built to serve 10 billion users. The privacy focused coin is being rebuilt from the ground up. This is out. This is from June 22nd. The electric coin company, which builds privacy coin Zcash, has some grand ambitions. Zcash was invented in 2016 by the Zcash founding team, which includes Zuko Wilcox, a Colorado-based cypherpunk who has designed multiple network protocols. With a $750 million market cap, Zcash is the second biggest privacy coin behind Monero. The ECC's plan is to make crypto as anonymous and easy to use as cash. And like most cryptocurrency companies, it wants to be the most widely used coin in the world. But since that means scale, sorry, but since that means scaling its out of date technology to serve potentially billions of users, Zcash's infrastructure could require massive changes that will result in the birth of a new blockchain. The challenges were outlined today during the annual Zcon One conference in Split, Croatia. Wow. Quote. <clears throat> I think we should make Zcash usable by 10 billion people by 2050 if we can. 
Nathan Wilcox, chief engineer at ECC, said during the the opening session to a room full of 230 enthusiasts at a waterfront hotel. In essence, the ECC is working out how to turn the Zcash blockchain, which was based on Bitcoin's code and has inherited many of its limitations, into one that can handle thousands, if not millions, of transactions per second. Because apparently it's only about transactions per second now, guys. That shakeup is so radical, it's likely to involve an entirely new blockchain to enable, quote, sharding, a scaling solution the foundation is considering. However, unlike a chain split, this will not result in a new coin. Sharding is a complex way of architecting databases, sometimes across a variety of servers, to dramatically speed up transactions. Indeed, the Zcash roadmap shares a lot of similarities with Ethereum, which is also moving toward a sharding-based blockchain, but will never probably get there. Sorry, guys, that's me. Well, it's always three months away, and it's been three months away for like five years. Who knows? Shit coinery. But for Zcash, to make the switch, a new blockchain will need to be built from the ground up, says Dara Hopwood, an engineer and product designer at the ECC. Hopwood said the new design they're working on may well be an entirely new protocol and blockchain. Crucially, effort would be made to ensure the value of the native Zcash coin, Zek, will be transferred onto the new chain so that users don't lose their wealth. The new blockchain could also solve one of Zcash's biggest problems, that nobody is using its private transactions. Unlike Monero, private transactions on Zcash are not enabled by default, and as a result, fewer than 2% of the transactions are fully anonymous. In the past, private transactions used used to be noticeably more expensive and slower, but strong improvements have since been made. Hopwood suggests that the new blockchain might be incompatible with transparent transactions, meaning all transactions will be fully private by default. Okay. <clears throat> if you don't remember or don't know, <clears throat> Zcash has what's called a founder's reward. And if I remember correctly, every time a miner mints a block, 20% of the value of that block goes straight back to the founders. And that means Zuko Wilcox at, at all. And that I re- I can't remember when it was, but somebody had given a dollar value of what that is if they direct convert to to USD upon receiving the 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 uh, the uh, Zcash, <clears throat> and it was something like I don't know like a hundred thousand dollars a month, and obviously that fluctuates with with the price of all cryptocurrencies, but still that's an awful lot of money. Am I saying that he doesn't deserve it? Oh, I don't know. I I don't think I want to get into that, but my point is is that. There are rumors, and I don't know. I don't know this. If I'm wrong, then I'm I'm completely wrong. But it has been stated that the founders' reward was due to end in 2020, and now all of a sudden, here comes this new uh, Zcash announcement. Uh, if it is true that the founders' reward on the original chain ends in 2020, and these guys uh, install a new founder's reward on the new chain that extends for a, you know a few more years, then I have nothing but contempt for everything that they're doing because that's, I'm, I'm sorry, there's just, there's, I don't, no, that's just, that's just vampirism right there. That's just straight up vampirism. But um, moving on up the stack, let's see here. Yeah. U.S. Treasury Secretary voices support for the new FATF rules regarding crypto exchanges. This is out of the block crypto writing this morning at 8.08. Stephen Munchen, a secretary of the United States or secretary of the United States Department of the Treasury, is in favor of the latest guidelines handed to cryptocurrency exchanges by the Financial Action Task Force, according to a Bloomberg report. The global money laundering watchdog announced last week that cryptocurrency exchanges need to collect and transfer customer information during transactions. Minchin said that with these guidelines, the FATF will ensure that virtual asset service providers do not operate in the dark shadows. This will enable the emerging fintech sector to stay one step ahead of rogue regimes and sympathizers of illicit causes searching for avenues to raise and transfer funds without detection, Minchin added. 
However, execs at leading cryptocurrency companies like Circle, Coinbase, and Chain Analysis believe that adhering to the FATF guidelines could be costly to implement and force unprecedented collaboration between exchanges. Okay, so yeah, FATF is is in the news, and we're going to continue with this rule uh, with this news with Colin Harper writing out of Bitcoin Magazine, June twenty first. FATF finalizes crypto guidelines, recommends exchanges share client data. So this is kind of going to rip into exactly what's going on here. The Financial Action Task Force, an intergovernmental regulatory organization, has finalized its recommendations for combating cryptocurrency money laundering and terrorism financing. In short, it wants to blow back the veil on user privacy. <clears throat> the FATF released the the final draft of its highly anticipated recommendation for cryptocurrency service providers today, June 21st, 2019. The agency released snippets of its guidance in previous drafts, which were met with exasperation and discontent from crypto faithful. <laughs> The G20, a consortium of some of the world's most powerful governing bodies, including the EU, prematurely agreed to adopt the guidance last December. In its final form, the FATF's guidance, which it stresses, quote, is non-binding and does not overrule the purview of national authorities, isn't particularly surprising as it includes many of the provisions listed in previous drafts. The document primarily takes aim at cryptocurrency exchanges, both crypto-to-crypto and fiat-to-crypto and vice versa, though it also encompasses all cryptocurrency businesses. Now I'm going to stop right there uh, just for, for a brief minute to make sure that we understand that the FATF doesn't have a jurisdiction. It can give guidance. Okay. That's what this is. This is guidance. They said we suck swamp water because we're terribly old and don't understand anything anymore. And, and every, everything of the new world is you know frightening and, and whatnot. So we're going to write down these things on this piece of paper. We're going to hand this piece of paper to other people and they will read that piece of paper. And if they want to do something with it, they can. Okay. So just because this thing is coming down the pipe from is, has obviously dropped because regulation and all that. We knew this shit was going to be coming and it's going to continue to be coming. It, it, it will be up to the countries who are part of anything that FATF has to say as to whether or not they implement them. Now, if the United States implements all the guidelines for, or any of these countries implement, implement some, or even all the guidelines suggested by the FATF, then, then that's when shit starts hitting the fan right now. It's just a bunch of old men yelling at clouds. Okay. So, continuing on. <clears throat> Overall, the FATF recommends that cryptocurrency service providers implement stringent know-your-customer requirements since cryptocurrencies have certain characteristics that make them more susceptible to abuse by criminals, money launderers, terrorists, financiers, and other illicit actors. This includes conducting customer due diligence, basically identity ver- verification and confirmation of where and to whom funds are being sent. For any amount over $1,000 or $1,000 US or 1,000 euros, the FATF recommends that the minimum threshold recommends this as the minimum threshold, though it encourages regulators to lower the bar if they like. Now, such KYC diligence is par for the course for most licensed exchanges for overcoming for incoming transactions, but the new guidelines would require this for all outbound transactions as well. <clears throat> so notably, the FATF wants cryptocurrency service providers to share this information among themselves and in extreme cases with law enforcement. The provisions require crypto businesses to establish the identity of each customer in order to obtain, hold, and transmit required originator and beneficiary information in order to identify and report suspicious transactions, monitor the availability of information, take freezing actions, and prohibit transactions with designated persons and entities. Yeah, that's not what we're about here, people. So uh, that's just censorship. They're just saying, allow us to censor Bitcoin or any of the other cryptocurrencies. That's what they want. They want censorship power. And I don't think they're going to win censorship power. I I just don't. I just don't. They They may make their laws, but enacting or um, um, being able to execute on those laws, I, I don't think is going to be anywhere close to as easy as uh, they think. 
Continuing, this information primarily includes the identity of the sending customer, the account from the trans- which the transaction originated, the sender's address, <clears throat> or some other identifier like national identity number or customer ID, the name of the transaction's recipient, and the recipient's account information. These requirements would be crypto's equivalent of the Bank Secrecy Act's travel rule, which mandates that banks must pass along certain customer information between each other when transferring funds. Uh, man, you know, this is it's just sad reading this. It just is. The FATF's crypto guidelines also recommends that service providers keep transaction records for up to five years at least alongside relevant ID information <clears throat> If the case arises that authorities request this info, it would be more beneficial than network data. The FATF argues that as reliance solely on the blockchain or other type of distributed ledger underlying the cryptocurrency for record keeping is not sufficient for compliance. In the same vein as business-to-business cooperation, the FATF calls for international cooperation and coordination with respect to AML-CFT, anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism policies. The document reads, countries should consider putting in place mechanisms such as interagency working groups or task force to enable policymakers, regulators, supervisors, the financial intelligence unit, and law enforcement authorities to cooperate with one another and any other relevant competent authorities in order to develop and implement effective policies, regulations, and other measures to address the ML-TF risks. Should a service provider or government official detect any wrongdoing, (laughs) countries should also freeze without delay the funds or other assets of designated persons or entities and ensure that no funds or other assets are made available to or for the benefit of designated persons or entities in relation to the targeted financial sanctions related to terrorism and terrorist financing. It also mandates that service providers should be, quote, licensed or be licensed or registered in the jurisdiction where they are created to make keeping tabs on operations by relevant authorities feasible. If the report's nomenclature for crypto companies as, quote, virtual asset service providers, end quote, sounds purposely nebulous, that's because it is. Under the FATF's definition, basically any service company or application that deals with cryptocurrencies is subject to its guidance. Hmm. I don't think that that's the wording we want to use here. Centralized exchanges are the fattest primary concern, but nothing is free from its guidance purview, including decentralized exchanges and mixing services. Quote, in particular, the virtual asset ecosystem has seen the rise of anonymity enhanced cryptocurrencies, mixers and tumblers, decentralized platforms and exchanges and other types of products and services that enable or allow for reduced transparency and increased obfuscation of financial flows. So if you thought that Wasabi, Samurai, Bisque, and Hodel Hodel would be free from scrutiny, sorry, the, the FATF wants them to kowtow too. Local Bitcoins has already demonstrated that so-called decentralized exchanges aren't immune to the whims and pressures of regulators. While the FATF wants these services to take heed of their guidance, how governments will realistically enforce some of these rules and how feasible and effective they will be is up for debate. Chainalysis COO Jonathan Levin and global head of policy Jesse Spiro, for example, wrote in a letter responding to the FATF's original draft that its proposals have a number of limitations and could entail unintended consequences. Specifically, it would be feasible to always obtain information on a transaction recipient because the cryptocurrency service provider wouldn't always know whether a transaction is sent to a personal wallet or another service provider. Quote, there is no infrastructure to transmit information between VASPs, virtual asset service providers, today, the letter explains. And no one has the ability to change how virtual asset blockchains work. Forcing onerous investment and friction onto regulated VASPs, who are critical allies to law enforcement, could reduce their prevalence, drive activity to decentralized and peer-to-peer exchanges, and lead to further de-risking by financial institutions. Such measures would decrease the transparency that is currently available to law enforcement. Levin and Spiro also questioned whether the same rules should apply to all VASPs, regardless of their business models. They also think that the $1,000-1,000 euro threshold is too low. Dutch Bitcoin broker Botanic Echo chain analysis sentiment calling the FATF's enactments practically undoable, 
while also raising privacy concerns. Quote, experts in the European investigation field also call this proposal by the FATF unnecessary and overkill. We believe that it is undesirable from a privacy perspective that the U.S. are forcing the EU to endorse such an alarming obligation, which is not just relevant for companies that are active in the virtual currency space. End quote. The FATF plans to issue a report by this time next year to evaluate the implementation of its guidelines by countries and service providers. All right, so, yeah, sorry that that's a long one, but that this one's important to know. Uh, the, nobody should be burying their head in the, in the sand on this. Uh, cause these, you know, these guys are the enemy. I'm, I wish I could term it in a, in a, in a much more palatable way, but no, these, these people are the enemy and they're always going to be the enemy and they have always been the enemy and they've just been unmasked. But the continued use of the language of Ill, illicit activity, terrorism, financing, it's like that cartoon. If you've ever seen it, it's, it's amazingly accurate. It shows, I think it's Uncle Sam putting a box on a counter and it says Bitcoin on it. And there's another guy behind the counter with a couple of rolls of, of wrapping paper on, on, on the wall. And, it says, and he says to Uncle Sam, how do you want that wrapped? Uh, for the children or terrorism financing? It, it's some, something along those lines. And that's really, that's all they got. It's either child trafficking or you're a terrorist and doing drugs and, I don't know, assassination markets or some such shit, which is not true. I mean, before Bitcoin, what do you think people used to do any of those same things? That's right. The United States dollar. So, yeah, it's a double standard. And that's one of the issues that we're always going to constantly be fighting. Tone Vase says regulation is coming. He's right. Will it land? Well, probably. Will it be effective? Totally up for debate. But that's going to do it for that story. Um, let's get into, oh, God. This is out of CCN, uh, Cryptocurrency News, which is apparently defunct, but still writing stories. Bitcoin inventor Craig Wright basks in Satoshi glow as court date looms. I'm uh, just trying to think, see if there's a byline in, or an authorship line. No, I don't see anything. So let's just get into it. <clears throat> Self-proclaimed Bitcoin inventor Craig Wright had his fondest wish come true when the capital city of Columbia formally recognized him as Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> Columbia. <laughs> Officials in Bogota presented Wright with a fancy certificate affirming him as the creator of Bitcoin. The events unfolded at the 19 or at the 2019 Expo Bitcoin International in Bogota, a week-long crypto conference. Wright, the chief scientist at Enchain and Jimmy Wynn, Enchain CEO, both attended the conference where they discussed how Latin Americans could use cryptocurrency to improve their economies. Notably, Wright discussed Bitcoin and the law. <laughs> Wynn shared Twitter photos of Wright showing off the certificate that proclaimed him Bitcoin inventor Satoshi Nakamoto. Wynn tweeted, <clears throat> Muchas gracias, contejo. De Bogota, thank you, Bogota Council, for having Craig Wright speak today about Bitcoin and law. <laughs> and, and for the nice honor. That said, Colombia is a tiny crypto market, and the majority of the international cryptocurrency industry do not accept Wright as Satoshi. Well, clearly. The certificate was signed by Nelly Mosquera, the president of the Council of Bogota, and local councilman... Julio Acosta. The document declares that Craig Stephen Wright, most commonly known as Satoshi Nakamoto, is world recognized as the creator of Bitcoin. The certificate further claims that Wright has several advanced degrees, including a PhD in computer science and a doctorate in theology. That hurts. <clears throat> At the conference, Wright discussed how crypto could be used to create a global connected economy where the average person can own property, the poorest and most isolated people can trade their goods anywhere on earth, according to CoinGeek, a website run by billionaire Calvin Ayer. Ayer and Wright are allies who believe that Bitcoin BTC will soon disappear and be supplanted by Bitcoin Cash Satoshi Vision. <laughs> God. 
<laughs> Despite claiming that he invented BTC, Wright has distanced himself from it, alleging that Bitcoin devolved into a vehicle for criminal activity. In a blistering manifesto, Wright says cryptocurrency should operate within the law and should not be used for crimes. Wright then torched crypto evangelists who claim that BTC can operate outside the law because it's decentralized. Wright says they're deluding themselves and are in for a rude awakening. Last week, Wright attended a mediation conference in Florida as part of the $10 billion federal lawsuit filed against him by the estate of deceased computer genius Dave Kleeman. Wright and Kleeman were colleagues who began collaborating on Bitcoin in 2008 and allegedly mined 1.1 million Bitcoin between 2009 until Kleeman's death in 2013. Kleeman's estate wants half of the massive crypto stash, which is worth more than $10 billion, using today's Bitcoin price. However, last week's mediation ended in an impasse. Wright will next appear in federal court in Florida on June 28th, so stay tuned. And I think, yeah, June 28th is going to be Thursday. No, June 28th is going to be Friday. Um, so this coming Friday, we'll we'll have to see what happens. Um, hold on for just a sec. Okay, never mind. Um, I thought I had, had it up here, but um, continuing a, a bit with the Craig Wright saga, um, that, that man may be in, in for his own rude awakening with judge Reinhardt, because he's actually saying that it's impossible to deliver the information that judge Reinhardt wants because every single one of the other trustees in the tulip trust, which is the trust that apparently, well, that, that he says holds all said coins and thus all said addresses. And it's the addresses that judge Reinhardt wants, um, that they're all dead. And if they're not dead, then their trustees are companies that are now defunct. Effectively, that leaves Craig Wright as the only remaining trustee of his own Tulips Trust. And he's claiming that he can't get a hold of any of the other trustees and they hold the keys to be able to unlock the trust because they locked it up with some type of scheme and he's unable to access it. Well, if he's unable to access, you know, the, tr- the, the addresses, then he's also unable to access the 1.1 billion supposed Bitcoins. So this thing, you know, Judge Reinhardt has, has lost his, I think he's lost his patience and he's going to have Craig stand in front of him and explain exactly how it is that they went through the entire discovery process and it's only now that this whole, you know, Tulips Trust and the fact that the uh, uh, trustees are, are un, quote unquote, unreachable. Um, yeah, I don't know how you're going to explain that, Craig. I really don't. Because um, that's, that is a, that's a, you just like, it's like walking face first into a hornet's nest that you knew was there. So I don't really know what's going on behind, behind this whole thing. But I still have this tinfoil hat sneaky suspicion that Ira Kleeman is probably broke and is in cahoots with Craig and agreed to sue Craig at Craig's request in Florida, essentially for a huge PR stunt. And if the thing backfires all the way, and I am right, and I hope I'm not right, but there's just this itchy gut feeling that I've got that Ira may actually be in on this. And I'm not sure. I don't want to sully the guy's name, you know, and I'm sorry about the loss of his brother and everything, but there's something really weird about this whole thing. There's, it's just, it just plays into Craig's hands like in, in several different ways. And if the whole thing is outed, you know, Ira could actually end up in, in, in prison or, or find, you know, heavily find himself. So, We'll have to see that. I know it's a, that's a crazy thing to even, you know, suggest, but there's just something about this that makes me think that we're not seeing, we're not seeing all this as it truly is, that there's something going on behind all this. And that's, I don't know. It's, it's just odd. I, don't, I don't, wish I could articulate it a little bit better and I'm sorry that I can't, but I just can't put my finger on it, but something about all this is wrong like the motivation is somehow or another is not the motivation that we think anyway. So moving on up the stack, um, 
Staten Island man pleads guilty to defrauding investors in virtual currencies. This was Friday, June the 21st. This is coming out of the United States Attorney's Office, Eastern District of New York. Earlier today, Patrick McDonald, also known as Jason Flack, pleaded guilty at the federal courthouse in Brooklyn to wire fraud in connection with a scheme to defraud investors in virtual currency. When sentenced, McDonald faces up to 20 years in prison as well as forfeiture and restriction to his victims. The plea took place before United States District Judge Nicholas Garufs. Richard P. Donahue, United States Attorney for the Eastern District of New York, and Philip Bartlett, Inspector in Charge, United States Postal Inspection Service, New York Division, announced the guilty plea. Quote, McDonald has admitted that he used old-fashioned deception to defraud investors seeking to trade 21st century currencies, state, uh, stated United States Attorney Donahue. Quote, this office and our law enforcement partners will continue to prosecute those who swindled the investing public to the full extent of the law, in quote, Mr. Donahue expressed his grateful appreciation to the United States Commodity Futures Trading Commission for its significant cooperation and assistance in this case. Between approximately November 2014 and January 2018, McDonald portrayed himself as an experienced trader in virtual currency, promising investors he would provide trading advice and purchase and trade virtual currency on their behalf. Beginning in approximately May of 2016, McDonald made similar represent, representations through his Staten Island-based company, Cabbage Tech Corp., also known as Coin Drop Markets. However, neither McDonald nor Cabbage Tech provided investment services. Instead, McDonald sent investors false balance statements purportedly showing that their investments had been profitable and stole their money for his personal use. McDonald defrauded at least 10 victims of at least 194,000 in U.S. currency, 4.41 Bitcoin, 206 Litecoin, 620 Ethereum Classic, and 1.34 million Verge. The government's case is being handled by the office's Business and Securities Fraud Section. Assistant United States Attorney Heraldi Mehta is in charge of the prosecution. <laughs> Jesus. Okay, so there's your paid group leader, right? This is this is your paid group leader. Um, don't buy into this stuff, man. Don't do it. Stay as f like somebody says that they're going to trade for you. And they're, you know, going to take your Bitcoin and, and make you a mint that you're, you're going to lose your Bitcoin. That's what's going to happen. You're going to send them your keys that controls that Bitcoin and you're never going to see them again. And if you do, it's probably like, like this guy sending false uh, balance, your statement, uh, false uh, balance statements through the mail that say we're all fine. And no, you're not all going to be fine. You're all going to get wrecked. Okay, in, in stupid blockchain news, the National Cancer Institute, which is underneath the National Institutes of Health in the United States, has released this project information paper called Blockchain-Based Information System for Medical Image Transfer. Um, you don't need a blockchain for this, but let's, let's see what they think they need a blockchain for. The project aims to build a blockchain-based information system for medical image sharing between different entities, particularly facilitating image transfer to enable a data library of medical images for an AI slash ML application to improve image processing, analysis, reconstruction, and enhancement. We plan to test the system with real image data and assess its performance from a socioeconomic perspective. Hmm. Conventional clinical data has been stored and managed in a fragmented, fragmented manner, which creates frictions in information exchange at the point of care and hinders large-scale research empowering, empowered by emerging technologies such as AI slash ML. Failure in timely access to health information could impede effective treatment decision-making, which will adversely affect patient health and also incur unnecessary costs, such as duplicated tests. Regulations on protecting pri patient privacy add a layer of complexity in data transfer. While the explosion in the number and capability of tools eases the process of data collection, data retrieval and information analysis have been slow and complicated in the fields of medicine, which has become a global challenge faced by both the developed and developing countries. All of the stakeholders have been calling for a method to securely and effectively share healthcare data. We propose blockchain technology that can help address the above issues in the following aspects. One, improving security and protection of privacy. 
two, maintaining flexibility, and three, enforcing data sovereignty. Blockchain is a distributed system to store a series of time-stamped records in a decentralized network. It relies on established cryptographic techniques to allow each participant in the network to interact with pre- without pre-existing trust between these parties. End quote. Medical image is a central part of diagnostics in today's healthcare. As a diagnostic imaging service is paramount in confirming, correctly assessing, and documenting courses of many diseases as well as assessing responses to treatment, the current image, imaging database and platforms that patient care and workflows are based on lend themselves naturally to the big data initiative and the application of AIML methodology. However, the integration of quality data becomes increasingly challenging and paramount in streamlining workflow and improve patient care. The project seeks to develop a distributed information system that helps to address these issues in image data transfer and provide a prototype for health information management in a broader context. AIMS. One, develop a prototype system in IBM Hyperledger for image data sharing between various entities from data acquisition, storage, and transportation between healthcare providers, patients, and the research community. Develop privacy-preserving techniques for safeguarding the identity of the patients when acquiring the image data. Develop novel algorithms for storing and retrieving image data facilitated by the blockchain. Conduct a cost-effective, sorry, conduct a cost-effectiveness analysis on the proposed system accounting for cost and outcomes such as changes in provider workflow and healthcare quality. The proposed working system is essential for a grant proposal, which will look very promising for sponsored research funds with the proposed work. And so this is mostly, this is actually all, there are three collaborators on this project and they're all out of Rensselaer Polytechnic, uh, which is a pretty storied polytechnic school. But, you know, do you really need a blockchain for it? You know, that's always the question. It's like, why do you want to pick the most inefficient damn thing on the face of the planet to do something that really does benefit through efficiency? And there's no reason in the world that a, that a, a worldwide system of computers and, and networking can't, you know, can't be either built or, you know, either built from the ground up or built from the tools that we already have. There's no reason in the world that that can't be done. All right. I, I mean... I know what they're trying to do, but I got to tell you, man, for high definition images, which, uh, you know, I mean, if you like, if you've ever seen the raw data size of a full body CAT scan or God forbid an MRI, these, these are large, these are very large files. That MRI data by itself is not, is nothing to sneeze at because you're talking about, Imaging, you know, either the head or in some cases the the head and the torso or, you know, what, or possibly a full body scan, which is not done all the time. But still, I mean, all of these files, they, they're they are not trivial and holding them on a blockchain, in my opinion, is asinine. You don't need to do that. You don't need to have, you know. You can store this stuff for years and not rely on a blockchain to do it. So I, I don't get it. I think this, again, this is a little bit embarrassing of just now that it's actually getting into like grant proposals that people say blockchain and all of a sudden their grant proposal is approved because blockchain is in the, in the grant proposal. That's disingenuous. And and if you're a scientist and you're thinking about using blockchain just to get your grant, screw you. You need to get out of the damn system. Moving on up. We're almost done with the news. Coinbase CEO praises privacy while allegedly blacklisting anonymous transactions. And guess who? Co-founder and CEO of major U.S.-based cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase, Brian Armstrong, attracted criticism after praising private crypto transactions in a a tweet published on June 22nd. In the aforementioned, aforementioned tweet, Armstrong notes that a scalable, sufficiently decentralized chain that supports private transactions by default would be a game changer. 
He then compares anonymous cryptocurrency transactions to cryptography on the web, pointing out that it is increasingly predominant. He also used messaging as an example. Quote, same with messaging. End-to-end encryption started out fringe, and now the expected default, end quote. Armstrong also cited the recent news about the the electric coin company, the firm behind second biggest... uh, as the second biggest altcoin Zcash, intending to build a new scalable Zcash blockchain as an example of privacy by default. In response, Luke Dash Jr. raised a question toward what he perceives to be an unclear stance on privacy on Coinbase's part. Quote, why does Coinbase seem to blacklist people who might get their coins from certain sources if you support privacy? I'm a bit confused, end quote. To which Bitcoin Core developer answered to which a Bitcoin core developer answering answered stated that according to him, as long as it is possible to distinguish dirty coins, the exchange is forced to block them. Self-proclaimed Bitcoin BTC maximalist Giacomo Zucco stepped in disagreeing complete nonsense. This can distinguish privacy coins better than they can distinguish Bitcoin from coin join. If they are forced to blacklist coin join, they'll be forced to blacklist privacy coins. Then, when a different user asked whether Coinbase blocks CoinJoin transactions, Zuko claimed, quote, of course. And the very few and low anonymity set anyway shielded Zcash transactions, end quote. According to a post published by the exchange in late November 2018, Coinbase does not fully support Zcash shielded addresses. Quote, initially, we will support deposits from both transparent and shielded addresses, but only support withdrawals to transparent addresses in the future will explore support for withdrawals to shielded addresses in locations where it complies with local laws. As of press time, Coinbase, Giacomo Zucco, and several representatives of ZK Snacks, the company behind CoinJoin-enabled BTC wallet Wasabi Wallet, have not responded to Cointelegraph's inquiry. As a consequence, it has not been confirmed whether Coinbase is blocking CoinJoin BTCs. As CoinGraph reported at the time, data provided by ZSAT Snack CTO Adam Fiskor revealed that at the end of April that mixed Bitcoin transactions now represent 4.09% of the total coin joins, <clears throat> or sorry, of the total after coin joins have risen by 300% in the space of nine months. Nice. As a recent CoinGraph t- analysis explains, Bitcoin's increasing anonymity is considered a threat to privacy-focused f- coins by some. Well, it should be. Yeah, so that was Cointelegraph and Adrian Zmudzinski is the only hope I have of pronouncing that correctly, writing that. So, yeah, he's Brian's talking out of both sides of his head again. He's praising privacy and then his actions actually say something completely different. Um, just a few notes here. Uh, Google searches for Bitcoin uh, are starting to catch up with the 10 K euphoria. And this is just, we're not going to read it, but this is coin telegraph and they provide uh, basically a Bitcoin and Libra search uh, terms on, on uh, trying to find out, you know, using Google's analytical tools. And yeah, we're seeing, we're actually seeing a, a spike in Libra and and also spike in Bitcoin, but then Libra starts to die off as the amount of searches go down, but Bitcoins goes down and then starts coming back up, which is kind of an interesting trend line. But in either event, the uh, Google search term stuff is starting to come back up. Um, their researchers uncover a threat of an unusual virtual machine crypto mining. Uh, <clears throat> read just a little bit of this so you know what you're what we're talking about. Cybersecurity firm ESET has detected what it describes as an unusual and persistent cryptocurrency miner distributed for Mac OS and Windows since August 2018. The news was revealed in a report from ESET Research published on June 20th. According to ESET, the new malware dubbed Loud Miner uses virtualization software VirtualBox on Windows and QEMU on Mac OS mac os to mine crypto on a tiny core linux virtual machine thus having the potential to infect computers across multiple operating systems okay so guy i'm going to stop there be aware loud miner is going you know is is out there it's been in the wild for a while um your rig could be infected you know run a virus scan you know do do all the all the stuff and just be aware, uh, malicious mining software is out there. 
and I am assuming that <clears throat> the best way to find out <clears throat> if you have malicious, if if you're, uh, oh, if you're like a McAfee or your virus detection software doesn't pick it up, if for whatever reason you turn on your computer and your fans in your computer are like hauling ass and they never, ever, ever slow down, even if you're not using like anything intensive, you're not running cycles, you might have a mining virus. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> Uh, last thing here is that, um, nope, nope, that was it. And that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Morning, uh, vital statistics are brought to you by bitinfocharts.com. We have Bitcoin at an average of 10,892. Looks like the high is going to be over at right BTC at 10,918. The low, it appears, is going to be at GDAX, nope, at CIMEX at 10,773. So a fair spread. 364,000 transa- Bitcoin transactions were made over the last 24 hours. 15,189 transactions were averaging per block. Uh, 1.3 million BTC had been sent over that last 24 hours, with 54,000 BTC averaging being sent per hour. Average transaction value is 3.56 BTC, and the median transaction value is only 0.017 BTC, or about 189 bucks USD. I like seeing 300, but I'll, you know, whatever. Block time is way low, 8 minutes and 17 seconds. 0.5 BTC are being taken as fees on a per block basis, and 93 BTC have been taken in total over the last 24 hours in fees. Hash rate is at an all-time high, people. Uh, 17, it's up today 17.42%, and we are at 65.093 exahashes per second. And I have confirmed through a couple of different sources, SpaceCat being one of them, that uh, we are indeed at a hash rate all-time high. I repeat, hash rate all-time high. Last uh, GitHub commit to the core... Uh, was done sometime this morning on the 24th. From left to right, Ethereum is at 309, Litecoin is at 135, Bcash is at 471, BSV is at 235, Ethereum Classic is at $9.25, and Dogecoin is at 0.0033. It's been holding at 3.1 for a while, but now it's uh, 0.0033 USD. 32,500 transactions. No, not it. No, in the last 24 hours for Doge is not going to beat the transaction volume of BSV and Bcash, which will never beat Bitcoins. <laughs> so much for big blocks. Anyway, that's, that's it for your uh, vital statistics for the day. All right, so I apologize for not having the uh, the other song on Friday from from Rush's Fear series. Was experiencing some fairly serious technical difficulties with that portion of the show, so it just didn't happen. Um, but I have part one of Rush's Fear series, "The Enemy Within," up for you now. And I guess I should probably speak a little bit to why it is I'm even doing Fear series. Well, there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt out there. LibraCoin white paper dropping, Craig Wright doing what Craig Wright does, Calvin Air giving him a helping hand. You know, I mean, it's just a whole, there's, you know, it's just, there's a whole bunch of crap that's always going on. And now that the price is rising, you know, there's going to be more and more people like, oh God, Peter Schiff and, and all the rest of the old people that yell at clouds and Bitcoin, um, they're going to start the FUD machine up and they're going to crank the thing up pretty good. So expect crap from Noriel Rubini and, and, and the rest of his ilk. Um, but try to not get scared, man. Like Adam Meister says, man, have a strong hand, bro. Have a strong hand. I've had, I've had to sell Bitcoin before. I don't like it. I don't like the fact that I did. I, it was just one of those things where I didn't have a choice. If, if you find yourself in a situation where you're literally going to go homeless or starve or not be able to, you know, 
clothe your kids, then yeah, I get it. But if there's any possible way that you can have that strong hands and hold on to your Bitcoin during these times, um, I think you're going to be well rewarded anyway. So that's the whole reason I'm doing fear and speaking of fear, let's have a little bit of the enemy within. Satoshi's Treasure, uh, Yoga Flame, got dropped on Sunday. Uh, Let's see what it says. Journey to the northern Indian city of Rishikesh, where you'll find a field agent of the hunt taking a break from yogic meditation to distribute a key to sojourners who make the trip out to Ira's Tea House. 
Of course, a field agent's life is a busy one, so make sure that you're there at 1 p.m. on June 27th local time precisely, or you might miss the key. This key will be awarded to anyone who is at the location on time. So there you go. Now, the res- let's uh, look at the keys that are found versus not found. There are 15 keys total, and... It looks like four of those keys, including this one, the exponential growth one, watch the skies one, and break beats on the beach are all still unknown as to whether or not they're found or not. So there, there you go. Um, but this one, I, I, I like the, okay, yeah, I, I've been kind of critical of Satoshi's treasure because of some issues with taking pictures and, and getting your phone number. But I, I, I still like Satoshi's Treasure because it is this interesting mix of you have to be there in meat space. And then if it's not in meat space, it's a collaborative effort in non-meat space. And then there's collaborative efforts in, back in meat space. And then there's solo, uh, solo journeys that you can take to decrypt keys just, you know, on your or, or get the key just on your computer without actually having to go anywhere. And. I'd like to actually, you know, when this is all said and done, I'd actually kind of like to either see an analysis or do an analysis of the breakdown of how many keys were done in each of these styles. And was it really, you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to say fair, but like a, a an equal distribution of, you have to be, you know, you, you can win the key all by yourself in meat space. You can win the key. Uh, with a group of people in meat space, you can win the key, you know, or win the prize. Sorry, I should be saying prize, win the prize all by yourself on the computer or win the prize, you know, only on the computer by, you know, a a clan Um, and and see what that distribution of possibilities actually looks like. Cause I, you know, cause I'm kind of wondering, have they already built all these clues out and are releasing them or are they building those clues out as they go? Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I haven't heard any, anything about that. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, so Satoshi's treasure, uh, the, the next key yoga flame is out there. It was dropped yesterday night on Sunday and it's called the Nirvana key. So if you're out there in India, you know, go, go to the tea house and go get that key. Okay, today's Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by I Am Joseph Young. He's, he's not the train wrecked. It's, it's, what he's bring, it's what he has presented to us as the train wrecked. So the train wrecked is actually Uberfax, which states, there's roughly 20 million tons of gold in the Earth's oceans. It would be worth about $771 trillion U.S. if we could collect it all. Joseph has the best reply ever. Bitcoin has a fixed supply of 21 million. Yes, sir. I don't know how many people know this, but the heavier elements in the universe, gold, iron, you know, silver, platinum, you know, the radioactive stuff, uh, those are, can only be built in, in all the way, actually all the way down to like carbon and, and some of the other lighter elements, but past, I think it's like past hydrogen, you kind of need an exploding star or a supernova to be able to fabricate the rest of the periodic table <clears throat> and exploding stars happen all the time. There is probably like, if you were to look at, you know, the oceans and then look at the asteroid belt and, Oh, I don't know, Venus and Mars, the amount of gold that's actually here is there's a lot. Now we can't get to it because we're not spacefaring yet, but I, I, with the way Elon is going, if he doesn't completely implode because SpaceX is doing the stuff that they said they were going to do, even if Tesla is sort of kind of getting, you know, baked, um, he's doing the stuff that he said he was going to do with SpaceX. And I would imagine if he, if it's, a, if the pace holds, we could probably see uh, space like asteroid mining before I die. Um, and if that happens and we just start tugging, like, you know, there's just 
gold tugboat, space tugboats, just hauling gold back to earth, you know, what's it going to be worth? And this statement that it says it would be worth about $771 trillion if we could collect it all. I don't think that that's right because that doesn't, I don't think that includes what that would do to the price given a brand new supply. I mean, it was a crushing blow to Europe after the discovery of the Americas and all the, the ships that were like hanging low in the water were coming over and just dumping gold on the market. It finally absorbed it. But at first, you know, if I had all, you know, I'd like, I don't know, like a pound of gold or whatever back in Europe. And all of a sudden it's not all that rare anymore because it just keeps coming off the damn boat. Then I get devalued. So at, at least at the at up front, when the gold started coming over, there was a pretty severe shock in Europe as to what that did to the price of gold. So if if you were to supply the entire planet with all of this gold, supposedly in the in the Earth's ocean, or this supposed amount of gold in the Earth's oceans, there there is definitely gold un- underneath the ocean. We just can't mine it because it's oh I don't know underneath the ocean. In either event, um, if all that gold was brought up. Um, I, I don't think this, the price that he's given or this Uber fax is given is taking into consideration what the, what the devaluation part of, of that whole thing. I think it, that person, the, whoever's writing this is thinking that at current prices multiplied by however, you know, 20 million tons of gold. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. That price would change if you started bringing, bringing gold up. And if you had to do it all at once, clearly, but even if the emission rate was just essentially tied the terrestrial gold mining, then you've effectively doubled the emission rate of gold and the whole stock to flow thing gets weird. I don't know. I, I, I just think I just thought it was funny because Joseph really said it best. Bitcoin has a fixed supply of 21 million. And my point is, is that the one thing in the world that an exploding star cannot make is more math. See what I'm saying there? There's, there's no, 21 million is, that's math. You can't make more of it. We, the, the math that we know is the math that we have. Suns exploding make gold, but suns exploding don't make more Bitcoin. So there you go. Anyway, there's your smoldering pile for the day. going to end this one with a bad joke. This is your terrible joke corner. A farmer in the field with his cows counted 196 of them, but when he rounded them up, he had 200. (laughs) You know, another thing an exploding star can't make is a joke worse than that. That's pretty freaking bad, man. Anyway, uh, so we're starting out a new week. We've got new, we've got an all time high on hash rate. Bitcoin poked through 11,000, um, over the weekend. It was really interesting to watch. Um, man, you know, it's going to be interesting. Also remember on Friday, Craig needs to get his happy ass up before judge Reinhardt in Florida. So we'll have to see what happens there. Um, there are, uh, you might want, if you're interested in that, follow, uh, I think it's at Stephen D. Pally, P-A-L-L-E-Y. He's a lawyer that's been studying, or not studying, but but kind of following the whole right climbing train wreck. Um, and he always has some really, you know, some pretty astounding, you know, uh, analysis on what's going on. Astounding only insofar that Stephen's really good at taking uh, legal concepts and boiling it down and rewording it into a way that people who did not study law and know jack shit about case law or how the United States court system operates, he really makes it accessible to lay people like me and most likely anybody else who's listening to this. Anyway, um, so with that said, try to have a really good week and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.